Thank you for tuning in to the Being Love in Action podcast. I'm your host, Kenya C. Williams of Kenya C. Williams Ministries, and we invite you to share with us while we walk through one of the most love-inspired texts of the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. So we encourage you to pull out your journals, take notes, fill your coffee and teacups, sip your water, and listen with an open heart and mind while being inspired, empowered, and even challenged as we share through the gospel of Jesus Christ in this series, what it truly means to being love in action. Welcome back to all of our returning listeners and for all of our first timers who are listening with us on today, I want to personally Thank you for tuning in with us. This is an informal but personable podcast, and we want everyone that tunes in to feel like family. Actually, for all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, we are family. Hallelujah and amen. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are joint heirs to the kingdom of God, so we are truly family. And on last week, which was our very first podcast, In our Being Love in Action series, we're going to go ahead and just give a little bit of background information for those who are just tuning in this week for the first time. Listen, we are an inclusive, we are an inclusive ministry and we are a Christian based ministry and we want everyone and anyone who's inspired or or curious about what does it mean to be in love in action when they tune in, we can't take for granted that everyone that's listening is aware of the Bible or even aware of the books of the Bible. And so each time we're going to make sure that we kind of recap and give everyone an opportunity to catch up with us and also an opportunity to read the text for themselves, which I encourage always whenever you're getting the word of God from someone, whether it's a man, woman, boy, or girl, always go back to the word yourself. And begin to study it and begin to, you know, just just get connected to it. So we're going to kind of recap an overview of the book of First Corinthians. And this is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. And he founded the Church of Corinth in 55 AD, which is after the death of Christ. And this is and it was established during his third missionary journey in, in, in Ephesus. So here. In the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Paul begins this letter by immediately addressing his concerns about the spirit of division within the body. Actually, this book was written about the issues that were concerning that church at the time. And so Paul not only dealt with the issues, he came in offering solutions to all of the issues that were going on. And so Paul addresses in this chapter, very, very early on in the book, in chapter one, verse 10, Paul addresses the people of Corinth that they should be perfectly united in mind and thought. So he was setting it up there, just kind of getting the people to understand the importance of unity. And, And then when you get into chapter 13, which is called the love text or the love chapter, Paul begins to compel the heart of the people. He begins compelling them to begin to look at love and the indisability of love and in the indis 
indispensability of love simply means that it, it is a vital part of the body of Christ. It is something that is needed. It is something that is imperative. The body of Christ cannot live without love. You know, the word of God says that faith, hope, and love out of these things, the greatest of these is love. So love has been the, the, the nucleus or the founding center of, of, of ministry. In fact, Jesus Christ himself exemplified love when he became the sacrificial lamb on Calvary and he died for the sins of the world. So love is here now setting the, the hearts and mind of the people. Paul is beginning to give them not only a solution, but he's, he's challenging the people now to begin to look inward. You know, and he he sets up in verses one through three, what love is not. He he says that no matter what they did out of religion or for the sake of ministry or for the love or for the foundation of, of what they believed, if they did anything, whether it was prophesy, whether it was to, um, you know, just be part of the body. If they were not doing it with a motive of love, it says that they, 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 it, it counted nothing for them. In other words, that all that they were doing, if they were not doing it in a spirit of love, then it meant nothing. I think that's, that's just a powerful testament to the hearts. And I'll read the text just, just so that we can get an understanding. And it says that, In verse one, and this remember, this is chapter 13 um, and it's this is verse one through three. And it says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I am nothing. So in verses one through three, Paul begins to to challenge the hearts of the people at the church of Corinth to begin to look at their motives. You know, first he dealt with the, the fact that they were, you know, not in unity, you know, that they needed to be and one accord. And, and the reason why Paul was setting the importance of unity up and now going into love, because in order for the church to survive, in order for the body of believers to survive a world within a world or a society that was corrupt, they needed some foundational principles put into place and operating truly in unity in one mindset. And then of course, in love, would be able to help them to survive in such a corrupt world. So here Paul was, was telling them, if, if you do anything and the motive behind it is not in love, I don't care what you acquire. I don't care what your title is. I don't care who you are. If it does not have the motivation of love and the love of Christ behind it, then it warrants you nothing. And then it goes into verse four through eight. And then Paul begins to describe what is love. 
He described love in its active voice, what I consider its active voice, and then its life applicability. He begins to, 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 to set up now the solution and how to operate in love for the people. And, and he says how imperative love is in order for the church to survive and in order for the church not only to survive, but make an impact that changes the world around them. Wow, isn't that something that even then, almost 3,000 years ago, that the church, which is the body of believers, were dealing with some of the same issues we hear or we find in the churches all over the world today. You know, not being in one accord. You know, Paul talked about some saying, I follow this this church leader or this pastor or this evangelist. And, and you know, the what I loved about Paul and the way that he he spoke to the people, he was not only transparent, but he, he really laid down the foundational principles. He said, listen, you know, it's okay. You know, some may say they follow me. Some may say they follow Apollos, but some, you know, water the seed, some plant the seed, some water the seed, but every seed that's planted or watered is done for the glory of God. It's, he said, I never baptized anyone in the name of Paul. I baptized in the name of the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. So for those of us who are believers and we find ourselves sometimes getting into these conversations that are really not healthy for the body that cause division, when we begin to look at, you know, which, which pastor or which leader is, 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 is better than the other. We have to remember that division is never good for the body and every leader has a specific assignment and every leader may be different in the way that they operate in the gifting that God has given them, but it still makes them so important to the body of God. And so we have to remember that, you know, to remember how Paul set it up going into everything immediately dealing with the issues, offering solutions. And now here we get to the point that I am excited about where we can really begin to look at patience and how love is in, is in patient being love in action through patience and what that means in this active state of being. I am excited. Aren't you? Yay. We all are excited about this part of the podcast because now that we've kind of given a recap of, of, of what the book is about and kind of setting up what the podcast is about. Now we can really go into the meat. So we know that it begins in verse four of chapter 13 and Paul begins with saying, love is patience. And I want to, when I think about patience and as I really prayed about what was it that God wanted me to share with you and, and, and kind of give to those who are listening, my definition of the active form of patience is, is the life application, which is demonstrated through the active state of being love in action. How do we be love in action through patience? Because he said, love is patience. So let's look at the definition of patience. The definition of patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay trouble or suffering without getting angry or upset. And I want you to really, really think about that definition. I'm going to kind of pull it out 
at different times to kind of keep us on task. And what I mean by that is keeping the mindset of what patience means in its in its definitive form when we look at it from the world's perspective. So there is a world perspective of patience and then there's a spiritual perspective of patience. And so that's what I'm going to focus on is the spiritual perspective of patience and how do we live that out actively in our lives every day. And, and in order to implement patience in becoming that active state of being love in action, there are perhaps three things that you might possess, you must possess. And so as I was reading this text and, and like I said, walking through it, God gave me three things to kind of look at uh, on today with this. So let's walk through our life application of these of the three active state of being with our first um, active love is love is patience. So again, I am excited about this second yay episode of being love in action podcast where we're getting ready to really, really begin to focus on the meat, which is patience, the very first one. So what are the big three things for patience that we can look at in this text? The wisdom of patience, the method of patience, and the humility of patience. Amen. So let's begin. So remember what the definition is of patience, the capacity to accept, tolerate, delay, trouble or suffering without getting angry or upset. So the wisdom of patience is basically a mindset. The wisdom of patience is a mindset. And if you have your Bibles, um, you can turn to Proverbs 19, 11, 19, chapter 19 and verse 11. Um, or if you have your journals or something to write with, you can jot it down and you can always go back and, and read it for yourself. But it says uh, in a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. And, you know, it. Uh, this is kind of self-explanatory. And we know that the book of Proverbs is the book of wisdom. So isn't it ironic that the wisdom of patience, um, I was able to, to pull a, a, a scripture from Proverbs 19 and 11 which just simply sets it up. We, we don't even really have to dissect it. It's a mindset. And, and, and wisdom is something that comes over time. You know, when we think about patience and having a, a mindset of patience or the wisdom of patience, you know, it, it's something that doesn't come overnight. You know, when we think of patience and how we get to that, to that, um, to that place, it's never overnight. You know, if we're honest about it, it's, it's something that comes, um, and comes as we experience life and as we grow and we, we learn how to many times in situations, you know, like the definition says, getting angry, not getting angry or upset, um, learning how to have the capacity to tolerate. And so it's a mindset, you know, of, of going into a situation or when a situation occurs that we can, you know, deal with it. And many times, sometimes there are others around us, you know, that can help us in those moments that can tap us on the shoulder and say, hey, maybe you shouldn't do this. You, you know, you're upset, you know, you're, you're a little bit angry. So so maybe you should just kind of hold up. 
you know, and, and, and we have to remember that patience is something that we give and something that we receive. So on either end, we have to be mindful that there must be wisdom, the wisdom of patience, which is the mindset. And again, the, the, the scripture that I gave was Proverbs 19 and 11. And there are many scriptures that you can find about the wisdom of God and, and having patience. And, and this is just the one that I am sharing with you. Now, what I'm not going to do, there's so many texts that I can present, but what I, I don't want this to be just a, a podcast where I give you a bunch of scriptures and, you know, I want you to follow along, get the information, digest it. And then as you go back and kind of study it yourself, you'll be able to take what you've learned, pray about it, ask God to open your heart and mind. You know, the Bible says the word of God says that if you seek knowledge and wisdom, ask and he'll give it to you. And that way, as you begin to 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 really get into the word of God for yourselves, God will begin to show you some some scriptures for yourself. But this is just one that I wanted to share with. So remember the first the first um, of the three. Um, ways of, 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 of dealing with patience or being patient in its active form is the first one is the wisdom of patience, which is the mindset. Amen. And then the second thing is the method of patience. You know, the method of patience is the behavior, your behavior or your actions. You know, um, if you think about it, there are some people, um, throughout life that you may know personally, but I'm going to use someone or from the word of God, from the Bible. And, and I'm going to give you an example of a person who successfully um, demonstrated the method of patience through their behavior and their actions who were wrong. And they had a legitimate reason to react based upon their circumstances. But again, remember the definition of patience. It is having the capacity to accept whatever is happening to tolerate it, or even to deal with the the trouble of what's going to come in the future without getting angry or upset. And surely it takes wisdom to really get that that mindset. But here we're going to look at the behavior and the actions, which is the method of patience. And then God brought me to Genesis 29. For those of you, if you want to, you can actually, I didn't give a verse because if you read the whole chapter, it tells the story of Jacob, Leah, Rachel and Laban, Jacob, direct descendant of Abraham. He wanted, he fell in love with a young lady named Rachel and the word of God says Rachel was beautiful. She was, she was beautiful as well as shapely and she worked. Her father name was Laban. And so Jacob wanted to marry Rachel and he asked the father, Could he marry her? And then the father told him, yes. But what he did, he did something that was very deceptive. He, you know, he allowed Jacob. The the contract was that Jacob had to work seven years in order to receive Rachel's hand in marriage. And he did that. He faithfully committed to that thing. And then what happened was on the night of the wedding, he slipped his older daughter, his eldest daughter, Leah, into the tent. So, you know, customary, um, they did not see each other. They were not intimate or anything, of course, prior to marriage. And so I'm assuming this tent was probably dark and not well lit. I mean, you know, you know, the women were virgins. And so 
you know, it, it, it kind of set the mood for, I'm assuming culturally, what, what was, was the norm at that time. And so normally in, tr- in that tradition during that time, the oldest daughter was to be married prior to the younger one. And the word says that Leah was kind of, um, it said that she had weak eyes, which implies sort of that maybe, um, maybe she just wasn't that pretty of a girl. And, and, and if her eyes were weak, maybe she squinted or something, you know, maybe, you know, she kind of probably was fugly if that kind of makes sense, you know, um, and, and, and I don't want to say ugly, but I, I'll say fugly, which for those of you who ever watched, have teenage daughters and seen the, the uh, movie Mean Girls, you'll know what I mean by fugly. <laughs> but anyway, um, it, 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 it states without stating that Leah was kind of fugly. She was not the pretty one. And so what her dad did, what Laban did was he slipped her into the room. He slipped Leah into the marriage tent. And so therefore, after he made love to her, and then I guess that morning or whenever the sun hit his face or their faces, he realized that she was not Leah. So here was Jacob. He married, he was deceived by his father-in-law. He married the wrong woman. And then he worked and honored his commitment. He did everything he was supposed to do. I mean, he had every right to be angry and to be upset. But here was was Jacob in in such a situation that he used patience because now that he was deceived, he had every right not only to to walk away from the commitment, but he would have dishonored Leah. He would have brought shame on her if he would have walked away from her. But then the dad, father-in-law says, "Okay, I'll give you Rachel but you'll have to work seven more years. Now, culturally, it was okay during that time for them to have more than one wife. And so remember, this is prior to Christ. And so culturally, it was acceptable. And so he, you know, he loved Rachel. He fell in love with her from the time, first time he saw her. So here was, was, you know, Jacob. He worked another seven years for the woman that he wanted. And he worked and he honored his commitment to get what he promised. And, you know, it worked out fine for him later on, you know, because he did receive the prize, but he kind of wasted seven years. But he was willing to, using the method of patience, in order to get the woman that he really wanted, the outcome. And so, you know, think about it. I want you to look at your own life. You know, how can you apply the method of patience actively in your daily life? Even after you have been justifiably wrong. Laban wronged Jacob, but Jacob used patience. He used patience in two ways. He used the wisdom of patience by having a mindset, you know, you know, not not being angry or or not only um, bringing shame to the household of Laban, but to himself. You know, because sometimes people miss with the wrong that has been done to you. They just look at your actions. So, you know, having, he used the wisdom of patience and he also used the method of patience by his behavior and actions by using self-control. 
You know, I, I, when I think about that and, and I say, look at your own life and how can you apply the method of patience actively in your daily life? God gave me Philippians 4 and 13. You know, it's 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 a very encouraging text. It says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, this text and there are many texts in the Bible that can encourage you in, in those moments when, you know, you're having a hard time. But this one I found to be very um, encouraging right here because it's it, it goes back to having self-control. If we remember that for those of us who are in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in us. And so because the Holy Spirit lives in us, he he gives us power to be able to have self-control, to be able to not lash at others when they they wrong us. And hey, I'm not saying that we are supposed to allow people to hurt us. Or do anything to us. I I use Jacob, but surely this was at a different dispensation. It was during a different time, but the principles still remain the same. You know, it doesn't mean that you have to stay connected to relationships that have disappointed you or that have have caused harm to you. It just means that you can deal with those issues sometimes in a different way. And right now we're talking about love and action in the form, in the active form of patience. So, you know, think about it. I want you to think about realistically what, what scripture that you have or that one of your favorite scriptures that would really encourage you in that moment to think about, you know, if, if you're facing such a situation similar to Jacob, you know, and someone has blatantly wronged you without getting upset, without, you know, lashing out with them is how could you have the capacity to accept it by using the method of patience, which is self-control. Amen. So here it is. Now, the very last point of, of being love and action through patience The very last one is, is the humility of patience. And remember again, patience is what? Having the capacity to accept or tolerate, delay trouble or suffering without getting angry or upset. That is the Webster's Dictionary uh, meaning of the word patience. So now we're looking at the humility of patience. And the humility of patience in its active form is the heart. It is the heart. It is the nucleus of who we are. Humbleness and submissiveness of patience. So first we had the wisdom of patience, which is the mindset, the method of patience was the behavior and the actions. And now we're looking at the humility of patience, which is the heart. And then, you know, as I prayed about it, I said, okay, God, how can we, we look at the humility of patience in its active form how can we look at that? What is what is and I wanted to use um, stories of the Bible or characters in the Bible. And God gave me the Jesus relationship with Judas, Judas. And many times when we think of Jesus's relationship with Judas, many times we only look at the deceptive part of that relationship. You know that Judas was the one who literally betrayed Jesus. But I don't want us to look at it from the portrayal perspective, but from the perspective of Jesus and how he demonstrated so much patience 
in his relationship with Judas. He knew you have to remember all the while he knew that Judas was going to betray him. But it wasn't until the Last Supper, you know, they had partaken in, they were partaking in uh, communion or what we call the Last Supper, the Holy Communion. And one of the things I really thought about that was so powerful was that at the Last Supper, Jesus washed the feet of all of the disciples. So can you imagine knowing that this person has not only um, is going to betray you, but he has been deceptive probably from the moment they've been in your presence. And Jesus was demonstrating the humility of patience. He washed his betrayer's feet. Can you imagine that? He washed his feet. So not only, you know, and, and the other thing about Judas, in, in, when we look at the humility of patience, it's the heart. You know, Jesus' heart was already set on completing his assignment, which was to go to Calvary, die for the sins of the world and be resurrected and then save the world. Amen. That was his assignment. But many times before you complete the assignment, you have to deal with the issues. Amen. And so there will always Judas represents the person or the persons or the situation that will test your patience. I know now. I, you know, it doesn't say that in the text, but we know through the natural state of humanity that he tested his patience. Amen. And so Jesus washed his feet and, and, and I want you to think about it. Maybe your Judas is a coworker, <laughs> someone you have to work with, someone you have to complete an assignment with. And I don't want you to remember, we're not talking about Judas as um, someone who is um, the, be the betrayer. We're talking about Judas from the perspective of that, that, that person that um, tests your patience or your ability to even deal with them. But yet it was a bigger picture. And many times people serve um, a bigger picture in our lives. So think about that. Think about that coworker. You have to work with them to complete a project. So you demonstrate the humility of patience. Because you still have to, you have to humble yourself in patience. You have to humble yourself in patience in order to deal with them and get the job done. Maybe your Judas of patience is a spouse. Or an ex-spouse, someone that you're, you, you're going through a divorce with and the divorce is, is ugly and they're making it extremely hard for you. But you know, in order to create an environment that's, that's damaging for you and your children, you have to demonstrate the humility of patience. Look at Jesus. He did it. You know, there is nothing that he did not experience that we can't make it through because he left us the gift of the Holy Spirit, who was our comforter who is the one that, 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 that keeps us in line, you know, maybe, maybe your Judas, um, of patience is a relationship with a family member, a church member, or it's seven friendship. You know, these, these relationships touch your patient justifiably. Maybe they have done some things that you justifiably had a reason to be angered about, but God is saying, sometimes we have to Find the humility of patience in these situations in our lives. 
Because not only, if, you know, humility does not mean weakness. It goes back to what I said in the very beginning. It, it, if, if, if we have a mindset, the wisdom of peace is the mindset. And then through our behavior and our actions, it's the method of patience. And then the humility of patience is our heart. You know, I believe that once you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in you and take residence in your heart and in your mind and in your soul, that things that normally would get you bonkers or crazy or that will set you off. Not that they won't set you off anymore, but it's different. You know, instead of, you know, cursing that person out or or totally rejecting that person, you pray for them. We can't we can't always turn away or get away from our family. And it doesn't mean just because they're family and they have and the relationship is not healthy that you have to continue with it. But what you can do in the humility of patience, because now your heart has been transformed by God, you can forgive them and move forward with your life. Amen. Listen. It's almost time to finish up and I pray that as a result of of what has been shared with you on today that you were blessed you know we're finishing you know the very first being love in action um active love which was patience we're finishing up patience on today and and I pray that as a result of patience that you will be inspired and encouraged to understand that if you just implement the wisdom of patience, having the right mindset and the method of patience, you know, um, having self-control through your behavior and your actions, and then the humility of patience, having the heart to allow God to move on your behalf. I pray that you were encouraged, that you were inspired that you really took something from this and that you can apply it to your everyday life. This podcast is about life ability, living a daily life and, and being love in action as we live out our daily lives. I pray that this blessed you and I welcome you to share it with your friends, invite someone to come and be part of this podcast and and just be a blessing. Leave your comments if you were blessed on today. Listen. I am Kenya C. Williams of Kenya C. Williams Ministry, and I thank you for tuning in. And as we close, as always, I always want to invite those who may not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Maybe you've, you, you know about God, you've heard about God, but you don't know about Jesus, or you're curious about Jesus. You know, the Word of God says that we all have sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3 and 23. In other words, none of us are perfect. We all have fallen short. We all, you know, are just regular people trying to live. Prior for those of us who know Christ, it's a difference when you know Christ and you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You're no longer alone. But then it says in John 14 and 6, you said maybe you know God or you know about God, but you don't know about Jesus. You know, John 14 and 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the light. And no one comes to the Father except through me. 
Knowing Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus is imperative to your walk with God because you need to know him first. Amen. Because he is the one that became the lamb of God, the sacrificial lamb, and he died for the sins of the world. And then Romans 10 and 9 simply says, but if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It just takes a simple prayer. Wherever you are, whoever you are, and just simply say what's on your heart. And when you say that and you repent, the word of God says it right there in Romans 10 and 9. That when you declare with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was resurrected and that he sits at the hand, the right hand of the Father, that you will be saved. Listen, my prayer is always that everyone is, is drawn to the Father. That everyone one day live out their life as believers in Christ. So I pray that on tonight, on today, whatever time it may be in where you are, that you are truly, truly, truly blessed. I pray in the name of our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, that each of you on today will be blessed and we thank you for tuning in to the Being Love in Action podcast, episode two. Blessings until we meet again. Amen. <laughs>